Hey, Mercy Street, my name is Melissa, and uh, I'm glad to be here. It's good to see all of you. Let me um, just uh, add a plug for our Ash Wednesday service. So this Wednesday at 7 p.m., there are actually a number of services that will be taking place across the city of Houston. So if you can't get here, there uh, surely is a church nearby. And what um, many in the Christian tradition do is we begin this season of Lent by receiving the ashes on our forehead in the sign of the cross. Because we remember, from dust we were made, and to dust we shall return. And also, as one of the early church writers reminds us, and the heavens were made for us. And we are joined with God. And so this season of Lent is 40 days. And so uh, find a service. Join us here at 7 o'clock. We'll receive communion. Amanda will have uh, a meditation, a sermon for us, and we'll receive the ashes. And if you can't make it to a church, um, you guys got paper and matches in your house, right? (laughs) Safely and carefully... Create your own ashes. I know, that, Von Z, that is, that is a little brave that I've just recommended that, but I believe in y'all. Hey, we're, um, this week and next week, even though Lent starts, we're going to start it a little bit later, but we're going to wrap up chapter four of Jonah next week. And then moving into the season of Lent, we're going to be looking at the prayers that God's people have always used during the wilderness times. And uh, as a part of that, we're going to recreate some of the images of God's dwelling, God's tabernacling with us, even as we make our way through the wilderness. So that'll start on March the 4th. Jonah, I love that so many of you are reading along and adding your insights and having these conversations. The whole series, we have said, this is about a reluctant mission. It's not that God is the reluctant one in the mission. God is constantly inviting us into this work of restoration. We are the ones, for a variety of reasons, are a little reluctant. And in this case... This book of Jonah is not about one of God's prophets who hears the word and then bravely steps into the next part of the journey. That's one of God's prophets that God keeps pursuing and coming back to and saying, second chance, third chance, (laughs) 50th chance. (laughs) And I've asked myself as we continue to read through this, why didn't God just say, all right, Jonah, I'm moving on. And there are times maybe you've asked God that same question. Have you already moved on? Are you tired? (laughs) And what we see is God's response throughout the book of Jonah, and I hope you hear it in your life, that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are my beloved. So tonight what we're talking about is an odd sermon and a merciful God. An odd sermon and a merciful God. I want you to recall a time in your life where someone did give you a second chance. Maybe it was related to uh, a job. 
Maybe it was in a, a relationship where you had had a fight and you were able to kind of get some sleep and be a little less anxious and come back to the conversation and get a do-over. You think about a second chance that you've had in your life. For some of you, it was when you finally got off papers. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> we ain't started Lent yet, so I got two more weeks, and I'm just going to use it. I'm going to use it. You got a second chance because, in my case, um, the very first time that I was finally in my adult life given a solution for the insanity that my life had become, uh, I, I didn't really try out the solution. It took me an entire year to really believe in the solution. <laughs> and I was glad for, at that point, which was a 365th chance. Remember what that felt like to be extended grace, to be given a do-over. And maybe in the moment, it wasn't that the circumstance immediately changed, but you felt at peace because you showed back up to the process, to the person, to the situation, and you did things differently. And you believed that God was working in the space you couldn't see. Michelle, I love that testimony. I've been praying for her to change her heart. And God changed yours. And God may change hers. Psalm 30, verse 11 says this, O oh God, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my sackcloth, and you have clothed me with joy. Can you name a moment, maybe many moments, where that has been the case? And just to whisper a prayer, God, Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. And the move that we are making tonight is to so freely give away what we have been freely given. And this is what Jonah does in chapter 3. Uh, along the way, Amanda found a, a book of poetry about the book of Jonah. And uh, it's written by Thomas Wilson Carlyle. I want to start with one of his poems uh, tonight. Words will be on the screen. It says, Negotiation with a Higher Power. I will demonstrate my immediate obedience, providing you comply with my demand for a more satisfying assignment. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> I feel like that was kind of what Jonah was saying in the belly of the fish. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it, just these are the conditions. <laughs> Negotiation with a higher power. Doug is going to come and read Jonah chapter 3 tonight. Would you encourage him as he comes? How are you doing? My name's Doug. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a, a city so large it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they, de they, de <clears throat> they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. 
When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robe. He dressed dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ash. Then the king of the then the king and his nobles sent sent this decree to throughout the whole city. Uh, No one, not even the animals from your herds or flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, uh, perhaps even yet, God will change His mind and hold back, and hold back His fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done, and how they had put away their, had put a stop to their evil ways, He changed His mind and did not carry out the destruction He had threatened. An odd sermon and a merciful God. I want us to think about uh, a couple of big questions that I think are are brought to the table tonight in the passage. They'll be on the screen, these two questions. Do we make ourselves look good by making others look bad? It's a practice of exclusive solidarity. I'll say more about that in a moment. Or do we assess groups by what they have done in the past? by how they act in the present, or by what is feared they will do in the future. Something that brings up our smug prejudice or our empty traditionalism. Ooh, that's heavy. This is, I think, some of these questions that are rolling around. We get to see in chapter three, so beautifully it says, and God comes to Jonah a second time and says, get up and go. And this time, Jonah did. He actually gets up and goes. But we see that as he makes his way, he's carrying within him still all of this baggage, the prejudice that he has for the people that he is going to, and for good reason. He harbors hurt or anger or hatred in his heart. These are the very people that had been so violent towards his ancestors and maybe towards some of his own family members. Amanda shared in the Wednesday night study that perhaps one of the reasons God called Jonah was that for Jonah's healing, he needed to return to a painful place from his new place of empowerment. He needed to face some of those prejudices in order to realize that they really didn't carry much weight. He, he needed to look at the things that he was holding up as tradition. Tradition. No? That's, yeah, okay. A few of you, yeah. Fiddler on the roof. All right, thank you, Luke. Appreciate it. The things that he was holding as, as empty tradition. That God was saying, I don't have time for that. I want my mercy to flow into every space. It says God comes to Jonah again, and this time Jonah listens. Jonah is brought back to the starting point. It doesn't erase the past. God understands that Jonah is carrying all of this with him, but he says, go and preach this message. Now, it said... 
Um, there, I mentioned in the beginning there's a lot of exaggeration going on in the book of Jonah. The word great and big and huge is used like 15 times. So it says Nineveh was so big it would take how many days to walk across it? Three days. Three. Remember what we talked about last week of the miracle that happens after three days? I love Jonah. He is so weighed down by his prejudice, by his empty traditionalism, by his belief that I, God's people are these people and they, this is exclusivity. He is so weighed down by it, he gets one day into the city and blurts out his sermon. I'll put the words on the screen. It's five words. It's more words in English. But the, the Hebrew message here, sometimes I just think it's good to, to, to see it. Now, if you'll remember from all of your Hebrew classes that you'll want to read this right to left, not left to right, all right? The word on the far left is Nineveh. You can trust me with that. The word in the middle is Yom, 40 days. 40 days, Nineveh overthrown. And Jonah's thinking, 40 days, Nineveh overthrown, you're going to get a whooping. He was still kind of weighed down by what he thought was going to happen in his prayers of wanting to see justice come to Nineveh. So you betcha, Nineveh, 40 days overthrown. But that word overthrown can also be translated turn around, turn over. And Jonah gets one day's walk. He gets just a few steps into this journey of obedience. Somebody find hope in that today. You can get a few steps into willingness. And he says this message. And next thing you know, everybody is repenting. From the greatest to the least. It says in uh, the fifth verse, the people of Nineveh believed God's message not Jonah's message. This was God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. They put on burlap to show their sorrow. They declared a fast. They declared that they were going to be pushing away anything that had separated them from God, that had distracted them from God. That's why when we get to Lent in those 40 days, some of us will choose to fast from different things in order to make space and to clear it out. It says, from the greatest to the least. And they repented. If you remember last week, they had a movement of the heart. They put words to it and they put their actions to it. And for an entire generation, the city of Nineveh repented. I wish I could say that Nineveh repented forever. It doesn't get too far into human history that they go back to their old ways as well. But it's not only the people that are repenting, it is not only the king of Nineveh, which is interesting here, there was no king of Nineveh. It's as if it said, everyone in the United States of America, from the greatest to the least, repented. And then the king repented, the king of the United States of America. There is no king. 
Basically, it's saying in even power, kneeled to the message of God. And ordered not only the people to repent, but the animals as well. Amber Jameson has drawn for us what it would look like for a cow to put on sackcloth pants. You know, we encourage one another to read the Bible with imagination. I just, I love it. This, this is actually version two because version one did not have the suspenders. And she realized, you know, the sackcloth pants would just, <laughs> they'd fall off. So, so this has suspenders. <laughs> Thank you, Amber. Thank you. Oh, it's so good. Okay, I have no, there's, there's no pivot. I'm like, did I put any pivot from Amber's artwork to verse 10? No. Okay, verse 10. <laughs> when God saw all that the people had done, again, they had put their repentance into action, and now they had put a stop to their evil ways, God changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Forty days, Nineveh, turn around. And the people turned around, and God turned around. It's a curious passage. But God, God's mercy is always weighted down by God's justice. And God's justice is lifted by God's mercy. God's desire is not for destruction. God's desire is for salvation. It says the people turned back, and so God turned back. Here's another poem by Thomas Wilson Carlyle. It's entitled Limitation. I think the word, yeah. God changed his mind because they had changed their hearts. He repented because they repented. That is the way that we word it sometimes. But always... God is limited only by God's limitless love. We put limitations on God. We put limitations on others. And God is only limited by God's limitless love. So where does this land tonight for us? Well, as we've been reading along, I think it's a realization that we can relate to Jonah we think about those times where we were given a second chance, and the question is always, the grace that has been extended to us, what will we do with what we have been freely given? It's not a zero-sum game. God's mercy and God's grace and God's love is limitless. And so every time there is another mass shooting, don't you find that your heart closes just a little bit to the possibility of change or of addressing isolation. Every time there is a misuse of power or a swindling of money or a shortcut that benefits you but devastates others, don't you find that the heart closes up just a little bit? Every time there is the beating or death of an unarmed person, 
The heart closes and hope seems to diminish. Because lurking in every Christian heart, there is this, uh, the quote will be on the screen, a Jonah lurks in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious or sinister message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. And so he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And allow the saving love of God, which has been outpoured into his own heart, to remold his thinking and social orientation. (laughs) Let the love that has been poured into our heart reorient how we see the world and how we see our enemy. Because lurking in each one of our hearts is a desire to kind of want to hang on to some of those prejudices. A prejudice is defined as an opinion that's not based on reason, not based on experience. Or maybe it's, it's an experience with a person, but then soon it becomes a prejudice against a people. <laughs> I loved Nick Saban when he was at LSU. But now, somebody said roll tide, and I'm just, we're going to have a prayer moment. But now that he's at Alabama, hatred in my heart. (laughs) That's such a silly, silly example. Roll, Roll tide, I'll say it. That's such a silly example, but friends, all this week, if I'm not careful, I can stay in my kind of smug place of prejudice. And I do that by just doom scrolling and looking for all the opinions that agree with mine. All the ways that say, you know what? Yes, Congress is broken. Bunch of yahoos not doing a thing. Maybe true, maybe not true. (laughs) We don't know why God called Jonah but we get insight in the New Testament as to when Jesus calls Simon Bar Jonah. That was Peter's full name, Simon, son of Bar Jonah. We get a look in the New Testament where a man who was such a strong fisherman, who had his own prejudices, who had his own belief about tradition and had his, his own sense of who was in and who was out. And Jesus starts forming this group of 12, and they are not natural friends, those 12. Some of them are enemies. And time and time again, Jesus, just like God was tapping Joan on the shoulder, Jesus is tapping Peter on the shoulder and saying, wake up. And Peter doesn't run away like Jonah, he gets to work, but he actually, he begins to invent new laws, new traditions that keep people out. Acts chapter 10, oh my gosh, I had so much fun studying all of this. Acts chapter 10, Peter, I mean, Jesus is raised from the dead, Peter is seeing the Holy Spirit come, and this person comes, knocks on his door and said, Cornelius wants to see you, and Peter says, ain't no way. You know, I'm quoting Acts chapter 10, you know it is unlawful for a Jew to even associate or to visit a Gentile. 
Meanwhile, the Gentile that was a part of the group of 12 is like, hello, Peter, we've been associating for like three and a half years. <laughs> Spirit sends a, a blanket down with food and says, there's no one that's in and out and quit trying to hang out in your own area of deciding who is in and out because the spirit is moving. Friends, what chapter three I think is inviting us tonight, that feeling that we had of someone who's given us a second chance, it is to be extended to the person, to the situation that feels like enemy to us. And that's hard work. It's hard work to lay down the hurt, the prejudice, it's hard to lay down the traditions that we have held on to because they told us we had a birthright of comfort, but we don't. Jesus tonight is tapping us on the shoulder and inviting us to step into the limitless love of God. That is such an odd message, but God is so merciful. So where is... Where is Jesus inviting you to maybe not go to Nineveh, <laughs> but to go into the chambers of your heart and to locate the place that you just feel like it is closed up, it's full of hatred or, or anger, a place where hope has diminished, and to invite God into that space once again. to pray for, and as Jesus said, to even love our enemies.